0: To viewers and listeners, dog days of August and I could not have a better episode for you to suit the climate and the time of year actually we're taping this in the dog days of August but you're going to be seeing this on September 1st so I kind of take it back I have a guest with me today who does two of the most unique things that that I've ever known of Um, one for his career. Uh, Peter was a Broadway general manager and has written a book about it, and we're gonna have him on next year to talk about that. But the book he's gonna talk about today is actually a book of dog obituaries. I know you've never heard of anything like this, and it's called A Dog's Life. And when I received it as a gift, it was really the stereotypical, I laughed, I cried. Um, because the stories told in here of the dogs' lives are so such wonderful tributes and so beautiful, but the naughtiness that we know all dogs are capable of slips in there too. So please welcome Peter Boggio. Peter, I'm so glad that you're here with me today.
1: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: And I'm so excited that I was given your book as, as a holiday gift because I'm gonna uh, mention what I said to you when we, before we started, which is that when I first started reading, when I first read the book, the first read was just all kind of tearing up, chuckling um, at the story of, behind each dog. But then when I read it the second time, I said, wait a minute, there's a common voice here in all these obituaries. So there's a sense of humor that comes through and truly a, a, a great love of the dog. So how, how, did you, how did the book come about?
1: Well, it's, it's a really funny story, Eileen. Um, I had never intended to write a book. What happened was my dog died and I loved him dearly. He was a Scottish terrier named Bilbo. And I felt, I felt the real need to write about him and to pay tribute to his life and to his character, which was pretty funny and and colorful and so I sat down to do this and it it took the form of a formal albeit I hope quite humorous obituary and then I posted it on Facebook to let friends who had known Bilbo uh, know that he had passed away and just to share it and that was really all I all I intended and I was completely completely taken aback by the responses I got uh, from all sorts of people who said, I love this, and, and I laughed, and I cried, and uh, you need to write a whole book of these. And I, I was completely taken aback because I'd never intended to do that. Now,
0: how long ago was that?
1: This was about, I think, about three years ago. In that obituary, I always record the date of death. Um, so it was. I sort of initially wrote about him shortly after. And, and um, my first instinct was to come up with 101 reasons why I couldn't possibly do this. <laughs> I said, you know, well, I, can't, I don't know if I can write about somebody else's dog. I mean, my, our dog was an intimate part of our lives and lived with us for 10 years. How can I write about a dog I've never met? And then I thought, well, well where am I going to find these stories? I, And and then I thought, well, how many obituaries does it take to make a book? And then I thought, uh, well, uh, each one has to be different. I can't say the same things over and over. He loved to chase tennis balls. He (laughs) got real excited when I came home. He threw up on the rug. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) There were certain commonalities to all dogs. Part of my challenge was to come up with enough variety. and And I said to myself, well, how much variety can I come up with, how many variations? So I had all these reasons why I couldn't possibly do this. And then I finally said to myself, Peter, just give yourself permission to try. Give yourself permission to fail, if that's what turns out. Just write one obituary at a time, set out on this road, and see where it takes you. Did
0: anyone, sorry to interrupt, did anyone, when you posted them on Facebook or you shared them with your friends, did anyone raise their hand and say, ooh, ooh, could you write my dog so bit?" Or was that so... For like, I would, never would have done that. I wouldn't have thought of it. But did anybody do that?
1: Well, one friend from college, who had really strongly encouraged me to write a book, um, and I said, "Well, I don't know if I can write about someone else's dog." She said, "Well, why don't you write about mine? Come on over. I'll make tea. We'll talk." Um, she told me all about her dog. I took notes, and and um, you know, I should stress that all the obituaries are my writing. They're they're creative fiction based primarily on facts, but it's my spin, it's my voice. So I wrote something, and and as would become my custom, I always sent it to her when I was done, saying, here's what I came up with. Did I get your dog? Do you like it? Is there anything you object to? Have I forgotten anything that this jogged your memory about? And she loved it. She said, my husband and I fell on the floor laughing uh, we 're going to treasure this you 've got to do this so that that was my first obituary after my own dog
0: so then imagine i 'm just trying to imagine if uh, if you gave it to her and she said, "Oh, no, that wasn 't the dog at all like I mean maybe if you were friends, you would have kept working on it. but I think the fact that you got such an in, such encouragement from the first person you even you know, you even thought of, uh, of sharing the detail of their dog's life with, Was that must have really propelled you to keep going.
1: It was a tremendous, tremendous help. It, it, it helped give me confidence that maybe I could do this and, 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 again, that I should just try and maybe I'd only come up with five variations and that wouldn't be enough, but just do it. And by saying just write one at a time, it took a lot of uh, feeling of pressure off me.
0: Did you have like any, as they went on, did you develop any kind of template where like, okay, dog's name, length of life, funniest thing it did, saddest thing it did, most annoying thing it did, or did it just, did you, because you must have had to interview all the owners. What
1: I did, I I finally realized I couldn't, I I shouldn't rely on just tell me about your dog. So I came up with a, a questionnaire which would give me a foundation of everything I needed to know, like name of dog, date of death, age, cause of death. Did your dog have any unusual quirks? I mean, a whole whole bunch of things that gave me a framework, and then um, that was very helpful. And often I'd I'd see something and I'd follow up with a email or a phone conversation and sort of dig deep, dig deeper. Um, but I I needed to try to get inside the head of each dog to really understand the individual dogs and and that was tremendous fun and a great creative journey to to get each dog but it was very important to me that in the end the owner was really pleased that, I, that because what I wanted to do was to pay tribute to the lives of these real dogs they're all real dogs uh, and I wanted to celebrate their lives with humor,
0: but you also celebrate the lives of the families too. I mean, I think that's what's uh, one of the things that's so enjoyable about the book that you you do get a sense of the people who uh, who lived with this dog and what they are like too. Um, because basically, if I mean, the anecdotes that they tell um, are very revealing, and um, I think you just have a gentle way about telling some details (laughs) that aren't that pleasant. Um, And after I finished my second reading, the other thing that came into my mind, and I'm gonna have you start out with the the first obituary, um, was imagining the Sunday New York Times obituary. So I get the hard copy of the Sunday New York Times. And sometimes I read the obituaries, but most of the times I don't because the print is in like minus 30 font. And because they are all basically the same type of people who get into the Sunday Times. um, What I loved about this is that (laughs) you cover a full, there's no stereotypical dog in here. Everyone loves their dogs. Everyone had things about their dogs that really aggravated them. The dogs were wonderful. The dogs were terrible. So I had this mental picture of the Sunday Times running a dog obituary page every pages every Sunday with pictures of the dogs have you ever seen anybody else do anything like this is there another book of dog obituaries out there
1: uh, I'm not aware of it I hope not a- at the time I, I hope that this was a wacky wildly original idea um, and when people would say, what are you doing? And I would say, oh, I'm writing a book of dog obituaries. (laughs) Usually they laughed or smiled, which was, okay. you get it. This has got to be something with humor. But as it came time to publish, the pandemic had already broken. And originally, I, I had planned the subtitle of the book to be a collection of humorous obituaries celebrating man's best friend. And I began to worry as the pandemic surged that obituary might be a really off-putting word. So I thought about it and changed that to a collection of humorous tributes celebrating man's best friend. And then I hastened to explain to people that the form of the tributes uh, is an obituary, but my hope is that it's a very celebratory, joyous, experience reading it that is not depressing or morbid?
0: No, I think they're, to me, they're eulogies. We have one uh, person in our family who speaks at every funeral because um, despite what we might think of him on a day-to-day basis, he is the person you would want to do your eulogy because he's very sincere, he has a sense of humor, he gets it and so i think that's how i thought you know eulogy and tribute kind of being the same thing but i'm 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 glad you called it a dog's life because that immediately emphasizes the positive
1: exactly i wanted to pay tribute to their lives uh and it's a given that every dog i write about is now dead but i i wanted to pay tribute to the mystery and the miracle and the humor of a life and its full, its full arc.
0: Okay, so are you ready to read us? Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to sh-
1: share one with you. I know you had indicated this well, was one. Well, we're
0: going viewers and listeners. Peter's going to be sharing a few because if it was up to me, I would have had him read the whole book, but we, we narrowed it down to just a few.
1: Thank you. Is is there a way for you to share the photo of? I will. Absolutely. Wonderful, because each dog in the book has their own photo. So this is Sadie Pepito Howell. Sadie Pepito Howell, the strikingly beautiful but emotionally troubled Dalmatian plus extras, passed away in Manhattan yesterday. Because her earliest years were chaotic and no record of her birth exists, it is thought she was 15-ish. The cause of death was believed to be natural, a respiratory infection or flu. No autopsy is planned. Sadie's introduction to her eventual owners, Mary and Sam, can be attributed to an online dating service, (laughs) PetFinder.com. While Sadie's profile did not originally draw their attention, it was at a subsequent visit to the Animal Care Center of Brooklyn that their eyes first locked. A speed date ensued. The Pepito Howells took Sadie for a brief walk around the shelter, during which time she expressed boundless joy, repeatedly attempting to jump into their arms. Her need to be loved was frantic. When it came time to return her to her crate, she splayed her legs in four directions and refused to budge. Mary and Sam succumbed to the whirlwind romance, and Sadie came home with them after that very first date. Not a lot is known about Sadie's past, but clearly it was troubled, leaving her with issues she grappled with for the rest of her life. Sadie had been found by the shelter wandering the streets of Brooklyn, disoriented and homeless. Her affinity for anything in a black plastic garbage bag likely stemmed from these times. It was clear she had experienced some kind of childhood trauma. She would frighten easily, which would manifest itself in fear aggression luckily she rarely bit anyone although like many she was willing to make an exception for (laughs) in-laws sadie understood the pepito house had given her a new leash on life and never forgot it she was grateful loyal loving and protective towards them in short a joy she was always so happy to see them she could barely contain her excitement her bottom wiggling ecstatically This was her Eve White persona, but there was an Eve Black. Sadie's attitude towards the rest of the world was not quite so jovial. She could and did hold a grudge. Inspired, perhaps, by Madame Defarge, Sadie kept a long list of people and dogs she had marked for extinction, During morning strolls in the park, whoever walked her had to constantly scan the horizon for those on her list, either scrambling to put Sadie back on leash before they met, or preemptively turning around and walking hurriedly in the opposite direction. She was, shall we say, a complicated dog, and complicated dogs have more layers than an onion. Sadie also had a gentle, nurturing side, which emerged when her family decided to adopt a blind black lab puppy. Christened Steve Hudson, the pup instantly took to Sadie. She in turn loved him back and tried to engage him in play. Her favorite modus operandi involved bringing a squeaky toy up to his face, shaking it until he grabbed it and then engaging in a gentle tug of war. When Steve Hudson died prematurely at the age of two, Sadie was bereft. Perhaps due to her early unstable years, when she needed to survive by her wits, Sadie was smart. She mastered all the standard dog commands easily, then moved on to proficiency with fancier fun ones like roll over or sit pretty. Proving once again you can take the girl out of the streets, but you can't take the streets out of the girl, Sadie's favorite command was high paw. (laughs) Though not an easy dog, did I mention Sadie developed Addison's disease and had to be kept on a special diet? Sadie offered many rewards, most notably teaching her owners how to be good parents. Desperate to be loved and haunted by her childhood demons, Sadie breathed her last in the safety and comfort of her owner's arms on the way to the vet, whom she
0: hated. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> so while you were reading, I was thinking about what I had said about eulogies and how I can just imagine you eulogizing a human <laughs> and getting all those foibles in. I mean, it, you've got, I love how each one is a complete life. You usually start with their, their origin story. Where did they come from? You know, did they come from a breeder? Were they a stray? Were they adopted? And you kind of wend your way through their life and then, um, then you get hit with the, with the horrible end of their lives. But I mean, how could you not feel after hearing that, that you know that dog, um, Inside and out that you've given such a a great portrayal Um, How did how did the owners respond? I would I probably would have, you know, you laugh you cry like I said How did they respond when you showed it to
1: them? Um, they were thrilled they were thrilled And and
0: have have they gotten another dog then now? That's that's my other question like the only thing that's not in here because you're dealing with that one dog is and my my question is always When's the be- do you get another dog? My my check mark is yes, you do. And when's the best time to do that? My when our dog Scooter died, I was just we were all miserable. And probably three or four months later, my hut for my birthday, my husband gave me two dog bowls, a water bowl and a food bowl, and that was how we knew it was time to start looking for another dog. So. Um, I guess I would love to know that some of the people whose do- who lost their dogs got new dogs do you, Do you fo- ever know well, about more or follow I, up with people
1: i don 't know, but I can tell you our, our our own case when when we lost our beloved Scottish terrier Bilbo who whose obituary was the first and whom I write about um, we were devastated, and i i couldn 't conceive of rushing out and getting a dog right away. Some people do, but we were really grieving and after about six months it suddenly hit me that I didn't think we would really begin to heal until we had a new dog to give love to and um, I did something I'd never done before it may sound really silly but I sat down and I wrote a letter to our deceased dog and I said this is what we were thinking of doing and I basically Asked for his blessing.
0: Well, now I'm going to ha- you w- Can you read Bilbo's obituary now? Yeah, I th- mean, that was, that was some introduction. And then we'll talk about okay. your, your dog uh, that you have now, who I was actually thinking of inviting to the studio and kind of <laughs> wish that I had.
1: Thank you. Bilbo Bodio. Uh, the McCracken Bodio family is deeply saddened to announce the passing of their beloved Scottish terrier, Bilbo, on June 8th in Copake Falls, New York. The cause of death was bladder cancer. Bilbo was 10, or 70, years old, depending on your frame of reference. Born lucky, with the capital L, and lucky, in Bangor, Pennsylvania, the puppy was adopted by the McCracken Bodios at the age of 12 weeks, and shortly after relocating with them to the Big Apple, changed his name, as so many young hopefuls do, to Bilbo. <laughs> Although plagued by trans-stature issues his entire life, Bilbo, like any good terrier, always knew who he truly was and steadfastly identified as a big dog. Despite others insisting on seeing him as a stocky, stubborn little dog, his self-image never wavered. Outwardly short, he was known to be scrappy and walked with a pronounced swagger. If, truth be told, he was a bit of a pub roller. On the street, his nickname was the mayor. Adopted into an artistic family, Bilbo surprised everyone late in life when he was discovered by a park ranger slash talent scout from Hyde Park, New York, and tapped to portray the pivotal role of Fala in a recreation of the famous election night torchlight parade that started in the village of Hyde Park and ended at the doorstep of the Roosevelt homestead. His debut was universally acclaimed, with rave reviews ranging from the Hudson Valley Chronicles, a veritable masterclass in the art of nonverbal acting, (laughs) to the Duchess County Courant's proves the old adage, there are no small roles, only small Small dogs. dogs. (laughs) Favorite pastimes included chasing tennis balls and policemen on bicycles, growling at schnauzers, and rolling in the dirt after first getting thoroughly wet. He liked his gizzards with garlic and onion. Although averse on principle to performing such humiliating dog tricks as stay, heal, sit, etc., Bilbo did become quite adept at silently passing gas, staring down others reproachfully, and removing himself to a distance. He was a world traveler, having once vacationed in Switzerland where he rode cable cars, swam in Alpine lakes, and stayed at the Grand Hotel Giesbach, all done with great aplomb. Once his family acquired somewhat dubious service dog credentials for him, he was a regular at the Albany Symphony, Tanglewood Music Center, and Caramore Center for Music and the Arts. He leaves behind his father, Peter, mother, Anna, brother, Jamie, and a slew of tennis balls and a hole as wide and deep as the Grand Canyon.
0: Aww. What made you cho- choose a Scotty a dog? Had you had, he wasn't your first dog. No,
1: I had a succession of Scottish terriers growing up, and I, I, um, I love all dogs, but I have an extra special soft spot in my heart for, for Scotty's. And our new dog is a Scotty.
0: So um, tell us about your new dog. Uh,
1: Our new dog is uh, named Dickens, and uh, he's a great source of joy and was a great source of healing. And um, most wonderfully of all, although he looks very much like Bilbo, he has his own very distinct personality. Uh, Bilbo could be quite scrappy. Um, And you never knew whether he was going to be just great with the dog he met on the street or just, like, viciously. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Dickens is very sweet. We joke, if if uncharacteristically sweet for a Scottish Terrier. And we joke that if we had fully comprehended his character when we named him, we could have called him Buttercup.
0: Oh, that's... That's so sweet. All right, I, we're running out of time, so I'm going to ask you to please read one more, because uh, sure, again, I wish we had all the time in the well, world. I'm,
1: it's so much fun. Let me think. Oh, I know. I'm going to read Watson H.V. Miller.
0: Oh, that's one more thing before you start. I love how some people give their dogs middle, <laughs> middle <laughs> names. That is, I mean, we all have nicknames for our dogs that are so embarrassing that oh, they can only be heard if you if you even say it outside in the street. When I do it and and I call her Smellabella instead of Ellie, I'm like, oh no, did anybody hear me? Um, so I love that they <laughs> have middle names. That's so great.
1: Watson H V Miller. <laughs> Watson H.V. Miller, the irresistible Bichon Frise, who hailed from Columbus, Indiana, died yesterday in New York City after a long, heroic battle with lymphoma. Against all medical odds, he had been kept alive months longer than expected through a steady diet of love and bacon. He was 10 years old. Originally proffered by the Miller parents as an incentive to get daughter Laura to raise her math grade to an A, The bribe of a family dog worked, initially. Ultimately, the dog stayed, the A did not. (laughs) Watson was small, Watson was cuddly, Watson was cute as a mini cupcake. He was also a bit of an Anglophile, as all three of his given names, H was for Horatio, V for Voldemort, figure prominently in British literature. Still, no one is a saint, And although essentially adorable and endearing, Fluffy One and Sparky were the two most common nicknames applied to him, Watson could also be persnickety and unpredictable. He was afraid of small children, having been traumatized as a puppy by young neighborhood hooligans who threw rocks at him. This resulted in an unfortunate proclivity to snap at children if he felt threatened. Also, he was once viciously attacked by a family friend's dog who punctured his neck As a result of these two incidents, Watson developed significant anxiety issues. Fortunately, a pill-happy Midwestern vet prescribed Prozac. (laughs) It helped. As yin to this yang, Watson adored older people. His favorite thing in the world was visiting a local nursing home and spreading joy. He never tired of the kindness of strangers, especially if they petted and fussed over him. His favorite toys were stuffed hedgehogs, bar none. As was said of Othello, he loved not wisely, but too well. On occasion, he was known to rip their heads off and pull out the stuffing. Remarkably, a steady stream of hedgehogs was constantly supplied by his doting owners. A dog of the times, Watson had his own Facebook page. He had 48 friends and posted regularly, especially after leaving Indiana and relocating to New York City. There was concern amongst his friends about how this small-town dog would weather the transition, but after two days of intense elevator phobia, Watson surprised everyone by taking to life in the big city like a fish to water, even posting, Guys, guys, guys! New York is great! I am loving it here! There are people, and they stop to pet me! Smiley face, smiley face. (laughs) Best of all, almost everyone Watson met was also on Prozac. (laughs) When not posting on the internet, Watson communicated in the real world with an adorable woo 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 doggy yodel. He used it when he was happiest, such as when daughter Laura, whom he adored, came home after a long absence. He loved his family and hated to be apart from them. He would often climb into an open suitcase while family members were packing, hoping to be taken along. Though a great car traveler, watson hated airplanes despite efforts to sedate him he would override the medication willfully staying awake and howling non-stop until he got off the plane then he'd stagger around like a drunken sailor for the next 24 hours ultimately his frequent flyer card had to be confiscated <laughs> watson displayed a dismaying penchant for toblerone chocolate bars He would go through the backpacks of daughters Laura and Emily, scavenging for this treasure, and if he found any, devour the entire stash subito. While this should have introduced lethal levels of theobromine in his system, Watson proved to be as impervious to poison as Rasputin. During his all-too-brief earthly tenure, Watson taught his human family many invaluable lessons. Patience, the value of effective chocolate hiding, which stain removers work best on light-colored carpets, (laughs) and most importantly, the incredible value of selfless love. Although the family has decided to have him buried, no graveside ceremony is planned. After considerable deliberation, it was agreed his headstone should read, Here lies Watson H.V. Miller. Little guy, you were hardly perfect, but you were ours.
0: (sighs) I think that part about the, uh, the visuals of <laughs> him howling on the plane <laughs> and then collapsing afterwards is just too much. So um, readers and viewers and listeners, and I hope you're going to be readers, please pick up a copy of Peter's book, A Dog's Life. You'll, you'll have at least a few hours of, of complete joy, and it'll be cathartic if you lost a dog, loved a dog, and it'll be a way for you to channel your sorrow. Peter, thank you so much thank for you. being on Book Stew today. This was, I couldn't imagine anything more delightful than the book, but then, then there was you and you, <laughs> you reading the obits. Thank you, Eileen. So um viewers and listeners, I'm continuing this dog theme because it's so much fun. And next month, which will be October, I hope to have with me Kaylee Greer, who is actually a very well-known dog photographer, and she has a book out called Dogtography. She also had a pilot on Nat Geo of how to take pictures of dogs, which um, has a few episodes but didn't get picked up, boo. So uh, thank you for joining us today, and please join me for the next episode as well. And woof woof to y'all.